invite the children for children in worship through uh, that that door. Y'all have a good time. We'll we'll miss you. This uh, is the second week in our, our series on the high life is legal. And just playing off all the discussion about the legalization of certain substances in a couple states who actually happen to both be represented in the Super Bowl this, uh, later this evening. Um, but to, to say that uh, in Christ, uh, the, the high life, the full life has been ours since the, the beginning of time. In our passage today, as we're walking through the book of Colossians, Paul's letter uh, to the church in Colossae. And uh, last week we had a little map, showed you where Colossae was. It's sort of in the middle of Turkey. And just reminded you as we're walking through this particular letter, it's like listening to one end of a phone conversation. Whenever you read uh, one of these letters, you know that Paul's writing in response to some things and other things going on. And we'll even get to that later on in the series as he, he alludes to to that. But today we'll look at the, the middle of chapter 1, starting with verse 15. It's found on page 956 in your Pew Bible. And as we read it, what, what I want you to do is just listen for what are the most common words you hear as we read this passage. What, what, is, what word does Paul seem to use the most? In, in, in passages, that sometimes that's a, a really good exercise. Just what word does Paul use the, the, the most as you walk through the first, second, or third most time? And that gives you an idea of what his point is. And I think we'll see that as we uh, read through this together. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your written word. Thank you for your living word. Speak to us the word that we need to hear. In the name of Jesus, who is high and lifted up, we pray. Amen. All right, again, listen for the most... uh, The words that Paul uses the most. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alright, so what did you hear? He, you heard he, him, an awful lot, he and him, alright, Good, excellent. That's the number one. And actually in the original, it's the number one. It's used 11 times. And even notable that it's used. You know how sometimes in foreign languages, which you know, the New Testament, Paul wrote in Greek. And, and you know how in foreign languages, sometimes the, the, the 
pronoun it can just is part of the verb. You know, you don't really need to say it how the verb is conjugated. Can some of y'all just shake your head like you remember you know, your foreign language? Okay, thank you. Um, and, and so you don't really need to put the pronoun there, whereas in English we really need to do that. Well, in, in this, Paul put the pronoun every time. So he, he is really saying that it, it is about him. Now, the one question you should ask when you read this, even though we make the assumption, just who is he? Because it is Jesus, and you just have to read the verses before it um, to know that. Um, But otherwise, we would assume that. All right, what else? What's another word that was all? And that's another one that is there, all things or even everything. uh, Everything is actually the same word um, in in Greek, and that's eight times. Yet just knowing that from this passage really gives you the essence of what Paul is wanting to accomplish here. That is, Jesus, God the Son, is over everything. All that exists, seen and unseen, light or dark matter for those physicists in the crowd... All that is, is under Jesus, God the Son. He is the ruler, the Lord, the Savior of all that is. Now, if you look in the uh, verse 15, he he is the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I want, want you to note, firstborn is a word that he, he uses here twice, uh, once here in 15 and then once in 18. And we'll get to it in the second, um, why he uses it the second time. Uh, but you might think that's sort of a confusing word. You know, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And in a sense, I mean, okay... God the Son, was He the first one to be born in some way like in Genesis chapter 1 or the preface that we're not given? Or what exactly is He saying that He's the firstborn? Well, in in actuality, firstborn is not chronology, but it's rank. It's authority. It's responsibility. Um, For those of you that like to uh, take notes, which I hope are most of you, and that want to review um, over what uh, the the scriptures say later on today and throughout the week, which I hope is all of you, um, is Psalm uh, 89, verse 26 and 27. You can go back and look at that and you'll see how um, uh, the psalmist talks about David being the firstborn of God's kings. Well, David was not the first king, and he wasn't the oldest king. I mean, uh, he was the the second king. But what he's, God bless you, what he's saying here is that that David is the the, the highest of all the kings. In 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 those days, in first century, to be the firstborn was to be the heir, to be the one that received everything, was the one who had all authority. Uh, When when dad died, the firstborn male was then going to receive all of the estate and and have the responsibility and authority for everything. Even if they were a little boy, they were the, the firstborn. The highest rank and authority. And that's what Paul is saying here about Jesus. 
He is referring to the incarnation. You know, God the Son becoming flesh, becoming part of the creation. The the mystery of the incarnation. The Creator becomes part of the creation. But He is the firstborn of the highest rank, of the highest authority, of the highest responsibility. Then He goes on, so as to be sure we understand what He means by firstborn. And uses almost every preposition you can find. That all of creation is in Him, is through Him, and is for Him. You know how sometimes people will say, well, I I built a house. Which really means they paid for a house that somebody else built. Um, Now, Some people really do build their own house. Well... Paul wants to make it clear with Jesus that he he didn't pay somebody to build creation. Uh, Jesus, God the Son, he didn't delegate that. That all of creation, all that exists, seen and unseen, was made in him, through him, and for him. There is no element of creation that has not been intimately touched by Jesus. Now I want you just to hold that, that thought for a little bit. You know, that, that, that there's no element of creation that was not intimately touched by Jesus. As Paul says, he was before all things, and in all things hold together in him, and all things are for him. All things will end in him. Other passages say that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. That's A to Z. He's the beginning and the end. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. He is the Super One. The Supreme. The Highest of Highs. On this day, when everything gets hyped to the hilt, and, and 30 seconds is worth I don't know how many million dollars today on Fox Network. Paul wants to be sure that it isn't just hype. That Jesus is the supreme one. Now, I want you to think a little more about all things here. And Paul's made it clear that it's all things seen and unseen. Everything that exists. I, I got to hear a, a picture. To This, this is a, a picture of, of where we are in the part of the all things that, that we exist. Uh, now, um, this uh, is actually um, a little picture of a galaxy. Uh, Sam, you have the other one uh, up there? Yeah, that, there, that, that, that's pointing to what, what we think would be the sun in the Milky Way galaxy. Now, now, this is not a real picture. The one before it really was a picture of a real galaxy that's, that's far away. But just let's just think about just This is just the one of our galaxies where our sun is that little, where the arrow is um, right there in the galaxy and this being the, the, the Milky Way galaxy. A few things about this. We're, we're, we're sort of embedded in what they... Uh, describe as a you know sort of a broad pancake of stuff a disk that we call the milky way galaxy um the uh in, in our, our galaxy uh, that 
There's this galactic bulge there sort of in the middle, which we think is a supermassive black hole, a mass equal to about three million suns. I'm going to start using numbers here that become meaningless. You know, I mean, three millions. How do you even imagine three million suns? And according to the NASA site that I got this from, it's a relatively thin disk of stars that are about 2,000 light years thick. That gives a totally different definition to thin to me. If it's a thin collection of stars that are two thousand, that it's going to take 2,000 years if you travel at the speed of light, which is really, really, really fast, to get across this thin layer of stars. The thin, but now that's just to go from top to bottom. Now, if you wanted to go from side to side, it would take you 100,000 light years to get across. Almost all the stars that, that we can see in the human um, eye uh, are uh, about 90% of the visible light, though, in this Milky Way galaxy. Uh, but, you know, that is um, one of the galaxies in the universe. The, the estimation is that our universe contains 50, let me be sure I get this right, not thousands, not millions, not billion, but trillion, 50 trillion galaxies like that one. Each one of them having 100 trillion to one zillion stars in them. I told you that the numbers were going to become meaningless. But what Paul tells us is that in him, through him, by him, for him, all that is created, he is Lord of. All that is, is held together in him. And you know what I just described is only the stuff we can see. For those physicists in the crowd, it's light matter. That's the stuff that we can see with our own eyes or our own instruments. That makes up, get this, of all the matter in the universe. I'm not even talking about energy, just matter. You know, it's just the stuff of the universe. The light matter, the stuff we can see, all those 50 whatever, how many zeros it is, galaxies in the universe, that's 15% of the universe. It's the estimates of... Physicists today, 85% of the stuff of this universe we can't see. We can't measure. We can't feel. We only can see the effects of it. God the Son, Paul makes clear, is the one who was before and the one who will receive all things Seen and unseen. Now when Paul talks about those things unseen, he even gives them names. So he's even talking beyond what the physicist would explain, but what the theologian has to describe. Because they both agree, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we can't see 
that we can't feel, that we can't measure, but we see its impacts. And Paul, in the end of verse, uh, middle of verse 16, says that thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. The unseen spiritual powers of this world are under the authority and responsibility of Jesus, God the Son. He started it all, He keeps it all going, and He will end it all. Now, why do you think Paul would, would go to such grand terms to describe just the, the authority and power, the magnificent office, uh, awesome, ginormous extent of the universe that is under the responsibility of God the Son? He wants to make it clear that Jesus is not a local God. He's not just for a particular place. He's he's not just for a particular people or group of people or or size of people. That's one of the reasons why we as a church have such a unique and wonderful opportunity as we continue to pursue to be a multi-ethnic to be a multi-economic, uh, to be a, a multi-generational gathering of people who believe Jesus is our Savior and Lord together and are a witness to this magnificent fact that, that Jesus has no favorite people, that Jesus has no particular place, but is Lord and Savior of all the universe. It's not just, a, it's in a sense, that Jesus is not just for a particular time in history or a particular time in our own lives. But, but Jesus is Lord and Savior of all, whether we, we're at work, whether we're at worship, whether we're at play, whether we're praying. Jesus is Lord if we are good, if we are bad, if we're healthy, ill, Rich or poor. I almost feel like Dr. Seuss would have been a great addition here, you know? That Jesus is Lord and Savior. Jesus is all for all and in all. Uh, whether we are in a house with a mouse, in a plane or on a train, in a meal or behind the wheel, on a court, in a port, behind a desk, taking a test, or at a well-deserved rest. Jesus is Lord and Savior of all. There is no place that He has not intimately touched. And and it's not just for people, but for all of creation. All that exists will one day come under His rule in perfect Submission and enjoyment and peace. To quote uh, Rabbi Abraham Heschel, every response should be awe and gratitude and adventure. Our goal is to live life in radical amazement, to get up in the morning 
and look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. Everything is phenomenal. Everything of God is to be amazed. I think also Paul is addressing, is correcting some of the wrong notions in Colossae in that day. And one of them is that there are certain forces that are at work that are equal to Jesus. There are certain things that just, yeah, they're just beyond Jesus' power or Jesus' concern or Jesus' ability. Or that we need to do something extra. There's something else besides Jesus that is necessary for the high life. And Paul wants to make it clear, no, there isn't. You know, we can can see that. You know how some of us, if we've been in the faith for a long time, we lose track of of just how high and lifted up Jesus is. You know, we we become accustomed to that. We domesticate Jesus. And I love it when when folks who come new to the faith, you know, are, are renewed back into the church and they start reading these things and they really believe them. You know? And they live them out. There's a gentleman that's been coming to church for the last six months or so. And he's been, he, he heard Fran a couple weeks ago talk about how, you know, we're, we're about um, being innovative and, and, and pursuing new worshiping communities. Ways of, of, of taking the good news of Jesus and having people worship together in places that, that normally doesn't happen. And with folks who wouldn't normally walk into the walls of this church building or any other. And so this, this uh, particular gentleman, he um, works out a lot down at the McKee Center, uh, which is down in Northside. And, and, and one day, I was just throwing out, you know, an example. It was a simple illustration to say, you know, it could be there's a bunch of guys that just want to get together and lift weights and do Bible study. Well, he took that as something to go do. And so he goes down and talks to April, who's the director of the McKee Center, and says, hey, my church is wanting to do things, you know, in the community and be in places because we want to share about Jesus. And, and, and so, okay, well, you know, this is a you know, public place, so, you know, we'll have to talk about that. Okay, well, you know, he, he, he's not thwarted by that at all. You know, he doesn't know the way you're supposed to do things. And then he comes back to me. Here's April's card. I talked to her. And this is what's going to happen. And he explains to me. And then, you know, as I take the card, I say, okay. And it gets on my pile of things and gets further and further down on the pile of things. that pile. And then this week, April calls me. Yeah. And he says, hey, you know, when are y'all going to start? That thing. This is what we need to do. And, you know, we're going to call it mind, body, and soul. And we're going to focus on the, the teenage boys in the area. And what we close Saturday at 1. And then what we want y'all to do is y'all can come in right at 1. We'll have one staff person there just to be oversee the building. And then y'all can you know, do what you need in the weight room or the gym or whatever. And figure it'll take about an hour and a half. And that's... So when when are you ready to do it? Oh, and then you'll just need to do these background checks and stuff. And then we'll, we can be get started. I'm like, yeah, now there's the, the beautiful faith of one who truly knows, yeah, no, Jesus is Lord all. He's intimately connected to every place. Everything has been touched by him intimately. And he loves it. And he died for it. And he wants to bring it back unto him. 
That's the, the, the beauty of a newfound faith that hasn't been domesticated by the way we do things. The, the final piece then in, in verse 18 through 20 is uh, I mentioned at the beginning that Jesus, that Paul says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And by that he's, he's talking about the creation that we're in now. And then he, he says that he is the, the, the firstborn from the dead. So that this is the end of verse eight, 18, uh, verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. And really what he's getting at there is he's talking about the the old creation, Genesis 1, and the new creation, Revelation 21. That he is the firstborn of the highest authority both in this world now and he will be in the world to come. When he returns... He will be of the highest authority and responsibility. Paul wants to make it clear. Jesus is the one from beginning to end, from old creation to new creation, from before Genesis 1 and after the maps at the end. He is high and lifted up. And it's this one... He closes with saying, It is this one who was pleased to reconcile to himself all things through his blood on the cross. It is one who is so high and lifted up. The firstborn of the old creation and the new. The one in whom through whom and for whom everything was made and holds together and one day will be completed. He died. For us. He died for the whole of creation. Important to see here that Jesus is the Savior and Lord of the world, not one of. Jesus makes it clear, Paul makes it clear, the Scriptures make it clear that He is the exclusive Savior and Lord of all of creation. I don't think you could say it any more precisely than here. Now, His invitation for any to come and to follow Him and to know Him, His invitation is universal. Come unto me, all who labor, and I will give you rest. But his claim about himself is exclusive. And there are a lot of teachings around the world, just as there were in Colossae in that day, that want to make Jesus, well, he's a good guy. He's a spiritual, high spiritual person. Well, he's my Lord and Savior. You know, and I hope you find one for yourself somewhere, you know, whoever it might be or wherever it might be. That's not who Jesus is. It's not what the Scriptures teach of Jesus. But he is the exclusive Lord and Savior of all the universe. And that's why we not only you know, work at McKee Center, while we work at Pleasant Hill, while we, we work in our neighborhoods, while we, we try to take the good news there, but while we also support workers all around the world 
Because Jesus created everything that we can see and everything that we can't see. Not just in this world, but in the entire universe. 